sister Martha. Mary was one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent him a message, Lord, uh, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So uh, when he heard that, sh- that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews are trying to stone you, and you're going, to, and you're going there again? Uh, aren't there 12 hours in a day, Jesus answered. If anyone walks during the day, he, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. Uh, he said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking to them about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too so that we may die with him. Jesus arrived. He found Lazarus had already been in a tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles. Many of the Jews uh, had, come, had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know what you, whatever you ask from God, God will give, give you. Her brother, uh, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who, believes, who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Jesus, had, uh, Jesus said this. Um, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, uh, the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews who had come with her crying. He was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. 
It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the, sto- the stone, Jesus said. Martha, uh, the dead man's uh, sister, told him, Lord, uh, there is already a stench. He has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you if you believe you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you, hear- that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of this crowd standing here, I say, I say this, so that they may believe you have sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips, and, and with his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary who came to Mary and saw what he did, believed in him. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this story. Lord, I thank you that it's not a story but a promise. I thank you that we serve a risen Savior who has been there. Father, and you have given us this story to give us hope, even in our lives today, 2,000 years later. Lord, I pray that you hide me behind the cross. Lord, allow your message to be, uh, to be clearly heard. Lord, apply it to our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, we kind of, uh, we went through Easter last Sunday. We talked about the resurrection. We have this, this resurrection. Jesus resurrected from the grave and, and we celebrated that last week. In, in typical movie fashion, when, I, when we celebrated that last week, I, my heart kind of went to this John 11 passage. And I called this sermon the prequel. If any of y'all understand and seen movies, if you've seen the Star Wars franchise, the Star Wars franchise released episode 4, 5, and 6. Then they released episode, the prequel episodes that told you how they got to that one, two, and three. Now they're releasing seven, eight, and nine. And in between all of those, they're releasing all kinds of other prequels. And they're like, well, what was Rogue One? Well, Rogue One was a prequel to the episode four. Well, the episode four, was that like the fourth one? No, no, no. It was the first one. We have in this sense, I don't want us to get our dates mixed up. This is the prequel to the resurrection. Although you're hearing it after Resurrection Sunday, as, as this happened... John had to include this in his gospel because it was going to show us some key facts about the resurrection. I think when it all came together for the disciples, it was stories and things like this that Jesus did that they were like, oh, that's right, he said that, and this is what he did, and I'm going to tell you about Jesus. This is the prequel to the prequel. Um, this story is similar to the next story because it gives us some biblical truth to do uh, what to do with the resurrected Christ. And it gives us some truth about the nature of man and death. The context of this was Jesus was ministering in Galilee because he could not minister publicly in Judea anymore. What does that mean? There were two Jewish regions in the area, and there was a middle region that was called Samaria. Jesus was in, um, Jesus had ministered in Judea. He was from the top region, which is Galilee. 
and, and some of those surrounding areas. He was from the top region. He had gone down to Judea. He, has, he had rattled the cages of the Pharisees. He was teaching. He was, everybody was in awe. He was doing all kinds of incredible things. The religious leader says, we have to get a stop to this guy. And so when they, uh, they finally came together, they were going to try to kill him. He fled the area and started continued to minister close to where he was from in Galilee. There was a, there was a long distance. He had to pass through Samaria. Some of you have, may have heard the uh, story of the woman at the well. That was him passing through Samaria at one time, uh, ministering to a woman that was a Samaritan, not a Jew. So there were these two areas, Jesus ministering in one because he was basically banished from the other. They said, if you come back, we're going to kill you. And what, lo and behold, happens eventually, he's crucified on the cross. So that's the context of what we see here. We need to know that because there's some significant statements in this thing. But there are three things I want us to know from this passage. The first one is Jesus is in control. Jesus is in control. I, I, as I was preparing this sermon, Hope looked over my shoulder and she said, I see something in red. What does it mean Hope lost control of the car? I said, honey, when, when I ride with you, it seems like you're never in control. No, I'm joking. <laughs> there was one time specifically when we, Hope had just gotten her license. We had gone to the mall in Kenner. And we were going, and there was kind of a new construction there by Williams Boulevard, and we were merging in because we were going to get on the interstate. And the two lanes come into one lane. And I guess Hope didn't, realize, didn't want to, number one, get on the interstate because she was in the wrong lane. Number two, she didn't realize that we merged together. And uh, so I am in the passenger seat as Hope has, you know, got this newfound freedom of, of driving. And as we drove... She started to kind of lose some control. She started to look at a certain way or just feel all these things, didn't quite understand what to do. And we were going head on into the guardrail. I mean, it was, it was, it was not looking good. So I, I remember, and I, I, it was instinct. I, I, I had never done this before. I mean, I was a teenager just like her. I grabbed the steering wheel and pulled it back over, and I said, just drive, you know. And I held that steering wheel for a second or two, making sure we were going the right way. Hope had lost control. Luckily, I had taken control, and luckily, we didn't die. So, uh, you know, when you, when you go in the driver's head, or when I, when I was learning how to drive a car... It was comforting that that person on the other side could take control. Um, in driver's ed, the guy had a brake pedal and a, and a, and a steering wheel. He was in control even uh, when I needed him to be in control. Jesus, even though it may seem that he wasn't in control, Jesus is in control. Look at these verses, verses 3 through 6. It says this, So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, you're one who loved the sick. And when Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. Now, Lazarus loved, uh, Mar- uh, now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So uh, he heard, when he heard that she was sick, what does the text say? Does it say, He immediately went to Judea? Does it say that he, 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 uh, he started to cry then and there? No. It says he stayed two more days in the place where he was. That, that, that whole structure of, of, of clauses there doesn't make any sense. 
if you don't believe that Jesus wasn't in control, that Jesus was in control, if you don't believe that, that makes no sense. He heard that someone he loved was sick, someone that was dear to him, someone he loved. This is, this is a clear passage. He loved these people. And yet he's like, I know he's sick, and I'm going to stay here for two more days doing what I'm doing in Galilee. Doesn't make any sense. Jesus, but he, Jesus was in control. Verses 7 and 8. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? They were telling, they were, they were telling Jesus when Jesus finally got a chance to go, don't you know that when you get there, they're going to try to kill you? Jesus is in control. He knew what he was doing. The Jews wanted to kill him. Verse 14, it says there, So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Man, if there's ever a place where I don't feel like God's in control, it's when it comes to death. just don't quite understand, especially when it's sudden and unfortunate. We live in a sinful world. His friend had died. He told him to tell them plainly. Lazarus was dead, but Jesus still in control. Verse 21. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have, wouldn't have died. Mary said the same thing to him. Man, to be accused... To totally be in control, but to be accused of of neglect by people, like I said, he loved. Man, there's nothing more isolating than sometimes uh, being blamed by people you love. Not knowing who you could even trust. Not knowing who can help you. Even in this place where these women said this to him, where these people said this to him, he was in control. He was, he was blamed for not saving. He was in control. Verse 37, and I, I don't know how Jesus kept it together. And, and it, it's clear he kind of didn't keep it together in, in some aspects. Verse 37, some of them said, this is the crowd who was mourning or alongside. Some of them said, couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Jesus was mocked. For his inaction. Jesus was, uh, Jesus was the talk of the funeral party. When he showed up, it was like, well, thank you, Jesus. You showed up a little bit too late. And here we are mourning a man who has been dead for four days. Jesus is in control. Have you ever thought that God, God was not in control? I talked about death. I talked about certain situations uh, you know, there are times that I know when I confide in my wife and I just say, I don't understand how God can be in control and yet this is what's happening in my life or this has happened over here or this has happened over, over there. Jesus is in control. Do you trust him? He has given us salvation. He has given us a relationship with him. He has given us himself and his promises in his word. Although sometimes it may not make sense. Sometimes 
there won't be that saving, there won't be that resurrecting, there won't be that, that, that God comes through and saves the day in the way we would like for it to be. But He has offered us something far greater than that. And that's a chance to know Him. That's a chance to persevere even through tough times. That's a chance to glorify Him even though we lose things. Very hard truth, but a very true thing. Jesus is in control. Secondly, Jesus is the hope, is our hope in the face of death. Jesus is our hope in the face of death. I've only, uh, as a minister, I've, I have not had a privilege of, le- of, of, of marrying folks, but I have had the, 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 the I don't want to call it the privilege, but the task of preaching funerals. And what a tough thing when you talk to the family. In both of my cases, the people, I believe, were believers. They had lives that, that, that had come to show, show God's glory. But men, when we deal with grief and death, we don't quite understand things. You know, a, a pastor friend of mine defines grief as love separated. You, can't, you don't have that outflow of love to that person anymore. It is bad. It is a tough place. Jesus was plain here. The, the, the Bible is plain here. Lazarus was dead. He was dead four days. He was decomposing. There's nothing anyone can do. The nature of a dead man is you can do all you want. As a little kid, I would, I, would, I would see these things in the Bible and see these passages and say, man, if we just had enough faith, man, we could, we, we could go to that funeral and rise that person from the grave. It doesn't happen. It's only happened in select times to show us some truth about who God is. The nature of dead folks is they don't rise up. Jesus says it in verse 25. He says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That I am statement. John is telling us something about that I am statement. We see it all throughout the book of John. When Jesus says, I am, he's equating himself. The Jewish folks in their psyche are going back to someone else who said, I am. Tell them, I am sent you. They're thinking about Yahweh. They're thinking about God. They're thinking about Moses in the burning bush. When Moses said, this is a hopeless situation. How how are they even going to believe that you sent me, much less you save them? And I'm kind of emphasizing that. I'm going to add into the text there. But... But he said, just tell them I am sent you. Throughout the years of Jewish history, that I am statement has come to mean a lot to them. And as Jesus says it here, he's equating himself with God. Jesus gives us hope to face death and the death of those around us. How incredible of a teaching opportunity that Jesus have right here to show about faith and belief. Then at a funeral for a man who had been dead for four days. A man who he loved who had been dead for four days. He gives us hope. We see here that, that, that Martha, Martha was like, yes, yes, I know, I know. I, you're going to resurrect us in the, in the resurrection to come. 
Because that's a belief of Jewish, of Jewish folks. That's a belief of us. That's a promise of the cross that we will have, that we will be resurrected with him because Jesus was resurrected. But Jesus goes on forward and says, and, 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 and tells her that she's going to see God's glory that day. See, Martha, Martha knew what the textbook answer was. Martha was a very rational, as we see her in the, in the scriptures portrayed, she's a very rational woman. She's a, very, she's a hard worker. She knows what it means to get things done. She's very industrious. And she's going to say and do the right thing. And that to her, the right thing was like, yes, Jesus, we will be resurrected. I, I believe you. See, she had a head knowledge. I don't know where her heart was at, where, if she had a heart knowledge. You know, an old pastor friend of mine says there's the separation between heaven and hell, 18 inches. It's from the head to the heart. That's the distance in average of what, what that distance is there. Martha believed Jesus in her head, but she hasn't, didn't believe him in her heart. And this is why Jesus is doing it, because we're going to see what Jesus does here. Many people, when they preach on this passage, I've gotten uh, the chance to hear some, what some different people say about this passage. And they'll say something like, you see, uh, you're the Jesus figure, and, and your dreams and your hope or that problem or that, 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 that thing that you thought that you could do that you can't do anymore, that, that's what's in the grave. That's heresy. That's not right. If we're anybody in this scripture, in this text, we are the dead person in the grave. Look at what Ephesians says about, says about the condition of man. Ephesians uh, 2, verse 1, 1 through 10 says this, You were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world, according to the rulers of the power of the air, the, uh, the spirit now working in disobedience. Uh, we too... All previously lived among our fleshly desires, carried out inclinations of our flesh uh, thoughts, uh, and were uh, by nature children under God's wrath, as others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for, that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. Look at that word again, dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to, to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. It is not of yourself. It is God's gift, not from our works that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us. I love what that says about the nature of the dead man. He can't raise up. Lazarus had done nothing. Lazarus did nothing but obey the voice of God. Lazarus was in a grave. I think that this tells us a lot about salvation. It tells us a lot about our condition. And it tells us a whole lot about our Savior. He is the resurrection we put our hope and trust in him. We are the dead man. And he has made us alive. Not you are saved by grace through faith. It is not of yourself. But it is God. And I just kind of want to note in this passage under, this, uh, under the Jesus is our hope and faith of, uh, in, 
in the face of death. I want to kind of note here in verses 32 through 39, look at the emotions of Jesus. When we, think, when we start to think that God is, is, is static, when we talk to, start to think that God is, is, is not in touch with us, when we, we say we have Jesus who we have a relationship with, but he doesn't, may not know what I'm going through at this time, look at, look at him. He says this, verse 32, As soon as Mary came to, Jesus, uh, to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had, not been, uh, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews who came with her crying, and he was deeply moved in his spirit. That, that, that word in the Greek is very, he was very emotional. Some folks have said it's even, he even showed a kind of an indignation, an anger toward what was going on. And he kind of, but he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? Lord, they said, they, uh, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. He wept. When we're grieving, when we're going through tough times, when we don't know what's going on, when, we, when we're trying to make sense of God's will, when it brings us to tears, our Savior wept. I love what the Jews said about this, and I love that John doesn't correct us. You see, the Gospel of John has a lot of added stuff in. We even saw some in the passage here, where John will kind of add some context, and he'll say, well, that happened because of this, and that happened because of this. And he'll kind of, he'll kind of tell you, he'll kind of zero in on what happened there. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. John doesn't correct that. Jesus loved Lazarus. But some of them said, and, and we saw that where they mocked Jesus, uh, then Jesus deeply moved again in verse 38, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. He loves us. He showed us that. We have a God who understands our emotions, who understands grief. Um, there are several reasons theologians put out there for why he, why he wept. I think the clearest one there is because John doesn't correct us in verse 36. He loved. He loved Lazarus. And imagine, I, I, I can just imagine him seeing the scene. And in Jewish funerals, it was a scene. People were paid to be there to cry. When you went to a funeral, you were going there to cry. You were going there to demonstrate so that the grievers, the people who were closest to them, could feel comfortable in grieving. He loved him. He loves us. This shows us the humanity of Christ and the grief he bore because he loved those who were there. And I think it's true, too. He loves us. Uh, So Jesus is in control. Jesus is our hope in the face of death. And lastly, responding to Christ is to believe. Responding to Christ is to believe. Um... Look at what the, uh, I wanted to kind of look at this word believe because it's used a whole lot in the Bible. It's used a whole lot in the book of John. Um, so John, uh, John eleven fifteen says it this way. This is in our passage. Um, John eleven fifteen says, I am glad for you that I was not there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. 25 says it this way. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. 
Verse 27, just a verse down from that. Jesus said, yes, Lord, she said, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. That was the head knowledge, not the heart knowledge. Verse 42, Jesus is, is here. He says, I know that you always hear me because of the crowd standing here. I will say this so that they, so that they may believe you sent me. Jesus' point was that they believe. In another passage, John 3, uh, 14, through, uh, 14 through 18, says it this way. He's talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is having a, a conversation on salvation. He says, just as Moses lifted up uh, the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world uh, in this way, that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Have you claimed that promise today? Believe in him. For God did not send his son into the world uh, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but the one who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of, our, of the one and only Son of God. John, John, uh, John 5 says this, uh, 1 John, I'm sorry, 1 John 5 says this, and I think that this is great because it tells us a lot about who John is and why John has written these stories about Jesus and why he wrote this epistle of 1 John. Uh, who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus Christ is the one who came by water and blood, not by water, but by water and, and blood. And the Spirit is the one who testified, because the Spirit is truth. For there are the three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and blood. And these are three in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater, because it is God's uh, testimony that he has given us about his Son. The Son, the one who believes in the Son, uh, has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe has made him to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony of God has given about his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us, uh, that God has given us eternal life and the life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son will not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the God so that you may know that you have eternal life? Do you know you have eternal life? Do you believe? And I feel like the punchline of this passage, and many of your Bibles may have it associated with the next passage, I believe that this verse 45 goes along with, this, with, with all of this in context. Verse 45 is the punchline. This is the reason Jesus did this. And this is the moral of the story. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary... And saw what he did. Uh, and saw what he did. Believed in him. Why do we do anything about Jesus? Why do you go to church? Why do you sing songs? Why do you believe? Why do you Why do you do anything religious? I hope it's because you believe him. And we're not talking about believe in the context of the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus. We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about believing to know Him as our Savior 
and Lord. This prequel points to the resurrection of Jesus. I love the song, and I do it from time to time here. Even though it sounds like kind of an older song, it's not quite so old. The song, Oh How He Loves You and Me. He showed us how much He loves us. By weeping here, He also showed us how much He loves each and every one of you. When He died on the cross, it says, To Jesus, to Calvary did go, His love for mankind to show. What He did there brought hope from despair. Oh, how He loves you. Oh, how He loves me. Oh, how He loves you and me. Would you believe Him? If you've never come to trust Him as your Savior, uh, we love to talk to you after the service. Do you believe Him? Because that belief is about life change. That belief gives us God's Holy Spirit. That belief gives us hope in tough times. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You for, Lord, Your, uh, your blessings. Lord, I thank you for this example that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for being the God of resurrection, for the God that we could put our faith in, for the God that we can believe, because one day we will physically die. Lord, our hope is in you. We'll be resurrected. Help us to look forward to that day. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I think we're going to stand and-